Well, if you have your Bibles and you're going to follow along tonight, take them out and open to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now that seems out of, um, out of order. We've been working our way through most of the New Testament, and we should be at Titus, not 2 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to do Titus next week. Um, I wanted to jump to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, tying it together a little bit with, with what we talked about this morning, of who we are as members of God's family, who we are as members of the church, and what God has called us to be and do and what he intends for us. So we're going to spend the evening in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 instead. Let me just read that chapter for us to begin. 2 Corinthians 4. It says, therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that, the same spirit of, with that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You don't know if you caught it, but in that passage, Paul uses an, an image for us, an illustration to help describe who we are, to help describe the church and us as members of the church. And, and the image he uses is one of a dish, right? And I brought some dishes along with me from home, all different kinds of dishes that, that you'd find in my house. Some of them you'll find over in the dining room by the glass cabinet. I've got, you probably can hardly see it, I got this pink dish that I got from my great-grandma Van Ostenburg, okay? And this dish is, is extremely fragile, which is why it stays mostly tucked behind the glass case, and a few of them tucked down on the shelf beneath 
I think I had dessert on this dish once in all the years we've been married. We just don't use them. It's just, it's, it's pretty, um, but I hardly dare touch it. Stacy's not here, so I took it. Nobody will tell you she's already gone. But okay, so you have that dish. I also have in that same cabinet these dishes. If you were at the Great Dalmudi night last night, the Great Dalmudi's got to eat off of these china dishes. We rescued these from the other side of my family, uh, chi- a whole set of china that, that came from my uncle overseas and brought to my grandma. And um, when she broke up housekeeping, we claimed them. And so from the other side. So I got china from both sides. Again, these dishes are on display. I can't think of one meal I've eaten off of these dishes. Okay, not one. I was not the great Dalmudi last night. I did not get to eat off of this one. Exactly. Now, if you go into the kitchen cupboard where we eat most often, you'll find a whole bunch of dishes that don't look like this, but the same idea. Because when our kids were little, our family every year would go and make our own dishes and paint them. And, and so we have, each of us has, I think, three dishes. So there's 12 of them. And every once in a while when, we, when we're feeling in the mood, we pull out the dishes that we painted. We can see the kids progressing and even my artistic progression or regression through it all. So it's kind of fun to pull these out. I've eaten on these quite a bit. And then, and then you'll find these, these nondescript brown plates. That I can remember when I was a kid, my mom walking to the garage sale of people three houses over and buying these dishes. So these dishes are like, you know, I don't know how long they had them, but they're probably 50 years old, solid as a rock. I mean, you can't break them if you wanted to. And we eat just about every meal off of these plates. Okay, when, when the Apostle Paul in this passage is thinking about who we are as Christians and he's comparing us to a dish, he doesn't pull out this one. He says, we as followers of Jesus Christ are a lot like this one. We're like, like clay pots, he says. Okay, now, we think today clay pots are usually artists use them, right? And so they're kind of cool. They're kind of artistic. They're, they're, they're kind of worthwhile to you paint them up. They look nice. When Paul's talking about clay pots, he's not talking about anything special. Clay pots back in those days were the most common, ordinary thing possible, right? There were so many clay pots. I mean, people used them for all different purposes. When I was in Israel, Um, when you go to these sites, looking around the ancient sites, you find fragments of clay pots everywhere. I mean, you're stepping on them everywhere because they were were everywhere. And so in verse 7, in verse 7, Paul says to us, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from us and not from God. He says, you guys, the church, followers of Jesus Christ, are jars of clay. He says, God has put his salvation treasure into simple jars of clay. He's entrusted the most common utensil with the greatest treasure of all. Okay, back when the people listening to this heard Paul say this, they thought, okay, jar of clay. I've got clay jars all over my house. And what do I do with them? What did they do with them? They would use jars of clay in those days for, for two purposes. First of all, mainly, they would use these, these clay jars as a kitchen tool, right? They were everyday common utensils that would hold food, store food, carry food, um, and drink. So it, it's like a pot in a pan. It's like a dish in your kitchen. You're a dish. They'd use them for, the, for serving every day. People in Jesus' day would often use it for another purpose. 
Sometimes they would hide their treasure in these common clay jars. Remember Jesus told the story about the man who found a treasure buried in a field and went and bought the field? That's because often if you had a treasure, there's no banks in those days, so you'd hide your treasure in a clay jar. Maybe you'd keep it on the shelf, hoping nobody would take your clay jar, like hiding it in the mattress, right? You stick your money in the mattress, because nobody's going to look. Of course, now everybody looks in the mattress, right? Um, they would put them in a clay jar. Sometimes they'd put them on their shelf just with all the other ones. Other times they'd bury them out in, in a field somewhere. And they had to remember, okay, where did I bury my treasure? Because whoever bought the field gets the treasure. Okay, so, so you'd, you'd use these, these clay jars you know, in everyday use, or maybe you'd hide a treasure in them. I think Paul, when he looked at, at the Corinthians, when he looked at the followers of Jesus Christ and thought of us too, possibly, I think he had both of those uses in mind. When he looked at all of us and said, you're like a clay jar. You see, there's many reasons for that. Because first of all, I think he had in mind that clay jars are designed to be used. They're, they're designed to be used. God gives us as, as clay jars holding this treasure, the treasure of the Holy Spirit, right? I think he gives us a purpose. He gives us a God-sized task to do. Right? Dishes like these are created for a purpose. Pretty, pretty obvious. They're created to serve food. They're created to bring you food and, and a place for you to eat. Is this plate serving its purpose? Not so much. This plate is serving its purpose even less. It's just sitting behind the glass case. It's never doing what it's created to do. And I think about I think about this plate. I think about the hundreds, probably thousands of meals that I've eaten off of this plate, serving its purpose to what it was designed to do, not with any glory, not with any beauty, but doing exactly what it's supposed to do. We were created by God, you and I, to be used. We were created for a purpose, not to be put on display, not to be preserved hidden behind, protected behind some piece of glass somewhere. We were created for a purpose, each one of us. And Paul is writing to, to a group of people here who are weary. And we, we get that from, from that chapter. You recognize that they're worn out. They've been serving God. They have this God-sized task that they're doing, and the work is hard. And he says, don't lose heart. Stick with it. Keep at it. Keep being used. And he reminds them and he reminds us of why we serve God with our lives in the first place. He does so right away in verse 1. Right in verse 1, he, he says, It is through God's mercy that we have this ministry. Through God's mercy, we have this purpose, this task, this calling. Paul's recognizing, he wants us to recognize that God has honored us. Simple clay pots, you know, worth, worth little on our own. And he's honored us by inviting us and calling us to be used in his kingdom purposes, to be used for his kingdom work. You know, my, my guess is all of us have heard that many, many times because I've said it many times of how we were created for a purpose. There's, there's a purpose that God designed just for you. That's what Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us, right? You were created for God's purpose, designed just for you. 
And yet, I think so many times we still fail to believe that it could be true. That there's something that God has for me to do. We said it this morning. Right? We are, we the church, are God's plan A for this salvation project, this kingdom growing project. And there is no plan B. That's you and that's me. We're given a a kingdom growing purpose, a kingdom growing task. What a great honor. It's through God's mercy that he entrusts us with that. Us clay jars. And we need to realize that this is a God-sized task. It's a God-sized task. And it's meaningful. And there's a significant purpose for you and for me. It's a salvation purpose. Remember, I think we all need to remember that we have been saved by grace through faith, right? We've been saved by grace through faith for a purpose, for a reason. Too many times, I think we, we celebrate our salvation. We give thanks to God for all that he's done for us, for, for giving us eternity. And then we say, okay, now God, now put me in a display case. Keep me safe. Don't let me get chipped or broken at all so that I'm ready to be per- look perfect and pretty when you call me to eternity. Right? I think a lot of us prefer that. A lot of us want to be this dish. Make me look pretty, God, and put me away nice and safe. But I don't think any of us are that antique. Okay? How many of us wouldn't rather experience life with God? And maybe there will be some chips, some scratches, some scrapes. And at the end, God takes us home and says, that's exactly what I called you to do. That's exactly why I saved you, for that purpose. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think those hiding in the display case are going to miss that well done spoken to them. So recognize that we've been called for a purpose, a God-sized task given to us. And and if it's a God-sized task, let's be honest and say the task is probably going to be difficult. I highly doubt that God-sized tasks are simplistic and easy. Remember who Paul's writing to. There's a group of people here who have been serving God's purpose, and they're worn out, and they're weary, and they feel like quitting. It says they're wasting away. Let's be honest and remember that doing God's will, living out his purpose, is hard. We, we don't usually like to hear that. We like to hear that it's easy. Right? God, call me to someplace easy. And this is often where our selfishness shows up. Right? We want to serve God, but we, but we don't really want it to cost us anything. We, we really don't want to have to sacrifice anything. God really wouldn't ask me to do something that difficult, would he? Well, you know what? He just might. He just might. We prefer if God's calls would not interrupt our summer plans or our retirement plans or our vacation plans. We would prefer if God's, if God's call wouldn't, wouldn't cost us anything financially. And we don't want it to cost us anything socially, right? We still want to fit in and, and look, you know, fit in with the world around us. We don't want it to affect our children or our grandchildren at all. Don't, don't make that calling 
have any cost to them. And pretty soon when we go through our list of limitations of, that we give to God, we're left with some pretty simplistic tasks, some pretty easy things to do. We like it that way. Those are our size tasks, not God's size tasks. These people in, in 2 Corinthians, in the city of Corinth, are weary. They are worn out. I would guess they're trying to do a God-sized task. They aren't limiting themselves to a their-sized task. And I would dare venture that, that if you and I, if we have never gotten weary in service to the Lord, then we probably haven't fully embraced the task that God has called us to do. I don't know if you agree with that or not. Let me say it again. If, if we have never gotten weary in service for the Lord, then I would venture that we haven't fully embraced the task that God has called us to do. Because God calls us to God-sized tasks. He's given us each a task that should keep us working hard. It should keep us pressing onward. It should probably move us to the edge of our comfort zones and never leave us bored in this kingdom venture. And Paul says here that the heart of this task is the same for all of us. Each of us has the same basic calling. Right? It may take different shapes in our lives. It may happen in different ways, but the calling from God is the same. And he gives it to us really in three different pieces and parts here. Verse 2. Verse 2, he says, we are called to speak the truth. It's that simple. Okay, our calling is to plainly speak the, the truth of Jesus Christ to the people that God puts in our lives. Paul says in verse 2 that we are to set forth the truth plainly. Set forth the truth plainly. Did you notice that Paul doesn't say that it's our task to convince people that that's true? It isn't our task to convert people to that truth. That's God's job. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. You and I can't convert anybody. Only God can change a heart. But our task, he says, is to speak the truth, to put the truth out there. And some people won't get it. He says in verse 3 that this truth will be veiled to those who are perishing. And in verse 4, he says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. So, so realize as we embark on this task that not everybody's going to get it. It doesn't mean that we stop. It doesn't mean that we stop speaking the truth with our words and with our lives. No, we still keep on with the task God has given us of revealing Jesus Christ to this world that so desperately needs to know him and see him, right? To convict someone and to convince them, that's God's, God's job. To faithfully speak the truth of Jesus, that's our job, given to us by the Spirit. Okay, so we're called to speak the truth. And the truth that we're called to speak, he says, is the truth of Jesus Christ, Paul says in verse 5, he says, we do not preach ourselves, but we preach Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves only as your servants for Jesus' sake. So our message, the words we speak day in and day out, the lives that we live wherever he's placed us must point towards Jesus Christ, towards his grace, towards his forgiveness, towards his salvation offer, towards his kingdom renewal that's offered to us and to the world around us. And Paul is so careful, and he encourages us not to get in the way of that. He's not going to preach Paul. 
He's not going to talk about how great he is. He's going to preach Jesus. He talked about God. Paul recognizes that he isn't that important. He's just a messenger. He's, he's, just, he's just a clay pot. It's always a regular dish to be used. It's the message. What's inside the pot? Right? What's inside the pot? A treasure, he said in verse 1, right? The treasure is the Holy Spirit of God giving us salvation. God chooses to put the, the salvation treasure priceless beyond all things in a jar of clay. So Paul says, I'm not going to get in the way of that. I may be a jar of clay holding that treasure, but I'm not the treasure. That treasure is Jesus Christ. And everything I do and everything I say is going to point to him. Okay? So called to speak the truth, the truth of Jesus Christ. And thirdly, we're called to speak the truth of Jesus Christ alive in us. Alive in us. You know what Paul's qualification was to preach the truth of Jesus? What qualified him was what was inside of him. What was inside that clay pot. The, the Holy Spirit of God. The life transformation that happened, right? Jesus Christ alive in him qualified him to tell his story. To tell Jesus' story. The story of him riding to Damascus and getting knocked off of his horse by the bolt of light that was Jesus Christ, and hearing the voice of Jesus himself calling him, and the life transformation that he experienced, that's the story he has to tell. Jesus is alive in him. He has this treasure inside of him that equips him, that enables him to share it with somebody else. Your story of Jesus alive in you qualifies you to tell the story of Jesus Christ. That's what our lives should be. That's what our words should be. Simply telling our story. What did Jesus do for you? You don't need to know four spiritual laws and quote 18 verses. And you need to say, hey, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Sometimes you say that with your words. Sometimes you say that in the way you serve, in the way you live. You tell the truth of who Jesus is and who he is alive in you. That's a God-sized task. It's not easy. It's risky. It's costly. Okay, so you and I, clay pots, were designed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, first of all, and we're designed now to be used for a God-sized task. And you know what? We are designed to be strong. We are given God-sized strength for this God-sized task. And I think each one of us is stronger than we think. I recognize that every single one of us here are pretty ordinary people. We're, we're ordinary folk living our lives. We are the clay jars, right? But it is into you and into me that God puts the most spectacular treasure imaginable. It is into you and into me that God places the grace of Jesus Christ, that God places the Holy Spirit alive in you and in me. And, and because he does that, with the Holy Spirit within us, we have a strength that I think most often we don't realize. I think we imagine ourselves to be fragile, so fragile that we've got to protect ourselves. Instead, I think God has created us to be strong, invincible, 
with his Holy Spirit's power. Look at the experience that Paul shows us here, right? He says that in verse 8, that this world is going to challenge us. When we are equipped for this God-sized task, the world is going to push back. And and, and these aren't very encouraging words. He says, we will be hard-pressed and perplexed and persecuted and struck down. If we're striving to live out the calling of God in our lives, then there will be times of discouragement, guaranteed. There will be times of weariness, guaranteed. And God promises in those times that we have a strength that we usually can't imagine. We have his strength. I mean, look at what Paul says in those verses. He says, we are hard-pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. God won't allow us to be crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, yes, but we are not abandoned. Yes, we are struck down, but we are not destroyed. God gives God-sized strength to accomplish a God-sized task. God knows each one of us. He knows our limitations. He knows that we're clay pots that get discouraged That will get weary. That will feel like giving up and giving in. And he says, you know what? You are exactly who I want to use to show my power and to show my strength. You are exactly who I want on my team. Let me carry you. Let me strengthen you. And you know what? God rewards those who face their God-sized calling with a God-sized strength. And you know, he gives them a God-sized reward. Serving faithfully in the kingdom of God, I recognize, isn't usually a glamorous thing. There isn't a lot of public recognition for serving God. For those of you who served Family Promise, you spent the night on a cot here and your back probably aches, there's not a lot of people cheering you on, are they? You usually do it in secret. For those of you who, you know, teach iClub and gems, cadets, wherever you serve. There's not a lot of people on the sidelines going, yeah, woohoo. You're being faithful. You're serving where God has called you to do. And there's not a big reward for that. But you know what? Public recognition isn't equal to the glory that God gives, to the reward that God intends to give. God has something even better. In fact, he has two things that Paul says. Verse 16 Verse 16, he says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. God gives us renewal when we're serving him. He gives us moments of joy, those moments of success in the middle of our ministries that renew us and remind us that that doing this, serving God, being a clay pot in his hands is so much more valuable than any recognition, than any applause this world can give. When you're serving family promise and you see a whole family transformed, maybe a generation then change, you realize that was worth it. That's better than any applause I could get. When, you, when you're teaching a kid in an eye club and you see their eyes light up, And maybe you pray, you get the privilege of praying with them the first time that Jesus comes in their heart. What more applause do you want? What more do you want? When you're serving a God-sized task, he gives God-sized rewards. Those moments of joy that renew you and give you the energy to press on. And then verse 17, he says that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs 
them all. That far outweighs whatever trouble those are. He gives us kingdom assurance. He reminds us of the glory that's waiting for us. And when you look at today's challenges, today's challenges in our own lives, and they are challenging, life is not easy. Life is challenging and difficult. He's God-sized task, God-sized opposition. But when you look at him in context of eternity, that's waiting for us, they will look so small. The eternal glory that's waiting for those who are faithful to God's call is greater than whatever the difficulty is, whatever, whatever sacrifice God is asking us to make. We get to hear the applause of heaven. That's the key to perseverance in the middle of difficulties in ministry. It's that eternal perspective, seeing the bigger picture. And so Paul can endure all that he endured to the point of even dying for Jesus. How? Because he has eye, his eyes focused on what is not seen, on what is unseen that's waiting for him. As a God-sized reward waiting for those clay pots who press on to their God-sized task with a God-sized strength. Now let me end with just one more clay pot story. I, I know I told it here at Ivan Rust once, but I think it's been years ago, and it's probably too good not to tell again. When um, Years ago, when my grandparents, who are both, they both passed away now, but when they gave up housekeeping, they, they moved out of their home into the Holland home, uh, they had been in their house for 40 or 50 years, okay? And my grandparents were, were pack rats. They never threw anything away. So we went through sorting their house, and once we, we got all the junk, they had church bulletins filed for 50 years. Those just went right to the dumpster, okay? Um, but when we got all that cleared out, um, we, we knew we were in over our heads, so we brought in one of these estate people to do an estate sale for them. And um, it was interesting. I was there when he walked in because... You know, in my grandma's kitchen area, she had one of those glass display cases, right, with, with all of her favorite dishes and, and beautiful, you know, artfully designed bowls and jars and all sorts of things in there. And uh, he walked in, and, and he was glancing around. He looked at that display case, and he just kind of glanced through all the beautiful dishes up there. And he paused, and he pointed down to the bottom left-hand corner. I can still see where it was. Because down in the bottom left-hand corner, kind of tucked behind everything else, was this plain brown jar. It, it was pretty nondescript looking. And he looked at it and he said, if you would like, I will deliver that one straight to the museum. They will, they will take that in their museum collection if you wish. And I thought, how crazy is that? That's the one I would have pitched. I would have thrown that one away. It, it, he knew what I didn't know. He knew that that jar was a treasure, not the other one. So it's somewhere in the Garner Rapids Museum. Now I have no idea where. I was fooled by all the frills and all the, the painting things. He saw a value in the simple clay pot. And I think God does too. God values regular people like me who are trying to live out, like you, who are trying to live out the purpose they were created for. Those who offer themselves again and again to be used for his purposes, to be used for his kingdom. Those who, who let the glory go to God. <laughs> it's not theirs. They give it to God. Those who, who sacrifice the things of this world because their eyes are focused on the things of God. Now, I got one more plate up here that uh, we, 
we keep in our kitchen cupboard stacked right along with these everyday plates. And this plate, I thought I'd end with this because um, it brings a message I think God gives to all of us when we feel ordinary, when we feel um, discouraged and weary. It's a plate that gets pulled out only on birthdays in our house. It's the you are special plate. And I think God looked at all of his clay pots and he says, you know what I want you to know? You may be a clay pot, an everyday vessel, but to me, you're special because clay pots have a special place in God's heart. So in God's kingdom purposes that we're growing, don't lose heart. Discover that God-sized task that he's called you to do and dare to face it with a God-sized strength. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful for the opportunities you give us. Simple clay pots that we are. None of us feeling probably overly special, overly equipped. None of us feeling like, like we are all that. And yet it is into us that you have poured the greatest treasure of all. Your Holy Spirit. The gift of grace of your son, Jesus Christ. And now you choose to use us for the God-sized tasks that you lay ahead of us. So I pray that each of us as individuals would be, be willing to trust you, to trust the strength that you give. I pray that we as a church would be willing to trust you and to trust the strength that you give. And when the task gets difficult, because God-sized tasks are always challenging, they always meet opposition. And when we get weary and discouraged and feel like giving up. Give us the strength again that comes from your spirit. Give us the encouragement from each other and from you to be faithful to the calling that you've given us. And may we see glimpses of those rewards. May we see glimpses of success and victory that encourage us to keep on going as we keep our eyes set on eternity, putting all the the challenges of this world in perspective because we know that you will carry us to an eternity of perfection with you. Thank you, Father, for that privilege and that joy of being clay pots in your hand. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're gonna sing together the song, It Is Well With My Soul, that talks about in easy times and in challenging times, we're still going to be God's clay pot used by him, and it's going to be okay. Would you stand, please?